if you missed it, there's a podcast that goes through the life of a man named Stephen. And we wanted to save the most challenging part for Mother's Day because being a parent is just hard work. And we wanted to save this portion of his life to think about the legacy that you and I are going to leave. Now, three things we're going to see from the life of Stephen and how his life ends that I think can really help in the quest that all of us have to matter. Let's look at three things. You may want to write them down. The first thing that we see is Stephen was marked by the presence of Jesus. Look at verse uh, 54, Acts 7, 54. It says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, heard what? Last week we talked about. Stephen shares the good news, even when it's not popular. And his convictions about Jesus, when he's pressed, he does not back down, but he holds on to what he believes. Now, when they heard this, they were furious. They were cut to the heart and gnashed their teeth at him. I mean, the haters are going to hate, and they hated Verse 55, but Stephen, contrast, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, so he tells the crowd what he sees. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, this might not make any sense to you yet. It will in a bit. But look at the response. We know that some people didn't like it. Verse 57. At this, at hearing what he said, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So you see a contrast. Stephen's life is marked by the presence of Jesus. And you see a contrast here. I want you to notice the Sanhedrin, which I have to explain. It's a group of 70 leaders who are leading Israel. There is no Sanhedrin today. Let's just go to the end. Let's go to the application for a second. People name their children Stephen in light of the way he lived his life. Stephen stands for something, but there is no Sanhedrin. So there are opposing groups, and we're supposed to see a contrast. Sanhedrin, what are they doing? They're looking down at Stephen. Sanhedrin are the rulers, and Stephen's an ordinary guy in love with Jesus. So the leading rulers are looking down. They hate what he's saying. They hate what he stands for. They hate the way he lives his life. What was Stephen doing with his life? Stephen was a servant. Stephen was one of seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom who daily helped distribute food to the widows. What is Stephen, what what is his life about? He's not just about me and mine. He's living for others. He's a leader in the community. He knows the word of God. He he fasts, he prays, he's he's diligent in his pursuit of Jesus and the Sanhedrin can't, can't stand him. So contrast, they're looking down at this man in his life and Stephen is looking up. How much does that say about our world view? You don't know what life's going to bring. You don't know if you're holding a baby, what their life is going to bring, but you can look in some direction. You can either be like the Sanhedrin who's looking down at others, or you can have your eyes fixed on Jesus. The choice is yours. And so we see that Stephen's life is marked by the very presence of Jesus. They're all in the same room 
so to speak. It's probably open air. But they're all in the same room, so to speak. But there are two different things happening. Stephen is having a conversation with Jesus. He sees the glory of God. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And and what does the Sanhedrin see? That you don't see anything. Do you know it is possible to come to a church gathering on the weekend and not get it all? I'm here to tell you, you maybe here because your, your mom's here or your wife's here and you don't normally connect with God and church and Bible. You don't need any of that. I'm a duck. I'm a beaver. I'm a whatever. I don't, I don't need this Jesus stuff. Here's the funny thing. In one home, you could have two different views. One person that looks just at the world the way it is and it's evil and it's rough and all that. And then one person could be in the house who is living in the same set of circumstances but has a totally different perspective. And when you and I keep our eyes on Jesus and we, like Stephen, look up and try to find his perspective, his desire, his will, his truth, his glory, his fame, if we keep our pursuit on Jesus and not on the stuff, the circumstances might not change, but your perspective will. And so the invitation for all of us this morning is to look at what we're looking at. What are you focused on right now? Is it the burden? Is it the stuff? Is it the trouble? Sanhedrin can't get enough of this guy because they want to get rid of him. But Stephen is just focused on Jesus. And I want to be a person like that. And as a community, we have no idea what God has for us over the next 30 years. What is this church going to look like in the next 30 years? We have no idea. But can I suggest this? If we keep our gaze on Jesus, we're going to be all right. If we keep our focus and our intention on him, we're going to see things that other people do not see. Now, interestingly here, we see that Jesus' posture is unique. Just look at it again. Verse 56. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Standing. It may not be a big deal for us, but can I suggest this is huge. Um, royalty in the first century, and really today, they sit. Like when you enter the presence of royalty, you stand. But the royal, the person in charge, they don't have to. Because the person with respect or honor, they have the right to sit and lead. Well, all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, when God is referred to on the throne, God is sitting. And in Daniel, and in Psalm 110, and other places, when it speaks of the Messiah, who is Jesus, and given his rightful place of authority, Jesus is not standing. Jesus is sitting. Because royals, people with authority, they don't stand, they sit. But what does Stephen see? Now, Jesus, who knows the end and the beginning, he knows everything about your life, past, present, and future, he knows what's coming. He knows what's right in front of you. And I want to suggest this to you. Jesus is all about deep and authentic relationship. And here's why. Stephen is about to get killed. You know, I hate to kill the story, but most of us have read it. And Stephen's about to die for his faith. And where is Jesus? Not often, never, never land. Not unacquainted with suffering. Not unconcerned. Jesus is standing. And every scholar that I read this week, I was, I was trying to figure out what does it mean by Jesus saying, everyone pointed towards the same thing. The best that we can come up with is that Jesus is anticipating and welcoming Stephen. Stephen in his last moments gets a view of Jesus and Jesus is not just sitting there unconcerned. 
he's standing at the right hand of the Father, waiting to receive his faithful servant home. I want to be a person like that, that is so connected to Jesus, so, so connected in my day-to-day rhythm of life with Jesus, that at the right moment when my life comes to an end, Jesus, so to speak, is standing at the right hand of the Father, waiting to bring me home. You want to talk about a legacy. Follow Jesus, my friend. No employer is going to stand there at the end of your day, end of your days and say, job well done. Okay, sorry for your employer. But, you know, <laughs> but they're not. They're not. Family and friends, they may be faithful to a limit, but Jesus is the ultimate faithful one. And he sees what you do in secret. And he sees what you do when no one else is watching, but you want to live faithful to him. And at the right time, Jesus gives reward. I pray that that's said of us. But notice the contrast. Uh, while, while Stephen, in one hand, is in the presence of Jesus, he is in a world of hurt. Verse 57. So at this, they cover their ears, and they're yelling at the top of their voices. Why? Because he's committing the ultimate blasphemy. He is saying that Jesus is at the right hand, co-equal with the creator God. And that gets you killed. So they don't get his message. And now that they've heard it, enough is enough. They cover their ears, they yell their voices, and they all rushed at him. They drag him out of the city and began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. We'll get back to Saul in a minute, but Saul isn't like, like the official at a nice high-end restaurant that takes your coat. To lay your, your coat at the feet of Saul is to say that he is in some way in charge. He has some level of authority here. Okay, he's one of the leaders allowing this to happen. And so Stephen is in the presence of Jesus, but now he has people dragging him out. Now we know the Sanhedrin had the right to put you on trial for blasphemy. And we know that they had the right to execute you if you were convicted, but that's not what happens here. Luke is writing to a church just like us. They're about 30, 40 years after the event. That's when Luke is writing. And he wants them to know Stephen was not made guilty officially of blasphemy. It was mob justice. There's nothing official here. There's no verdict. There's no him repeating in the middle of it, and we're seeing it in our day, no longer is it enough to argue your case in court, no longer is it enough to talk in the world of ideas to the media or to others. There are moments when people get so impassioned. You see it in Ferguson, you see it in Baltimore, you see it all around the world where people just rush to judgment. And instead of listening and thinking and talking, they rush to violence. Now, I, I got to confess, ladies, you look beautiful. This is not the most chipper of messages on your day, right? But we want to talk about our legacy because that actually does matter. And there's something about living in the presence of Jesus that can make all the difference in your life. Now, I need you to hear this. Just because we're in the presence of Jesus does not mean we don't live with difficulty. The second thing I want you to see in Stephen's life, and I hope that you realize is true in your world, is that Stephen was guided by the love of Jesus. I can't help what I can't help. Now, Stephen's just doing the right thing. He is honoring God. And this is the interesting part of following Jesus. Stephen does everything well. He does everything right. And yet, he still finds himself being grabbed 
dragged out to the edge of the city, probably in a little ravine or a little valley, and they pick up rocks and throw it at him to kill him. Explain to me, if God is there and if God is good, why in the world would he allow Stephen to go through suffering? Can I suggest that while we can't understand and explain and get a full orb on all why things happen the way they do in our lives, we'll never know the complete answer. We can know this, that when circumstances come my way that are not pleasant and are not right and are not from God, this was not God's doing, God judging Stephen for him lifting up Jesus. This was evil. And that's what we need to do. We need to call some things evil. And mob justice and riots, that is just, it's evil. It's passion that doesn't have brains. It's evil. And so we call it that. But in a real world where we choose to live in the presence of God, we are going to encounter evil. And we're going to encounter suffering. What do we do with that? We don't have time this morning to tease out a whole theology and understanding of suffering and how that fits within the scriptures. But we do know this. Stephen was guided by the love of Jesus. So you see a contrast here. Once again, for one, Stephen's in the presence of Jesus while the other Sanhedrin, they don't see it. They're looking down, he's looking up. And now, what is Stephen doing while they're pelting rocks at him? Look at verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. A nice way of saying he died. If you look at Stephen's life, it is very much like the life of Jesus. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what what Luke the writer is doing here. In the end of his gospel in Luke, you see that Jesus prays for those who are crucify him, crucifying him. And we know that they're spitting venom at him, and Jesus responds with love. You see in Stephen's life, you see love in action. He does not treat them like they deserve. And so I think that's, if you want to leave a legacy, first thing, Live in the presence of Jesus. Choose the way of Jesus, and it will change you from the inside out. And really, that's what's happening here. How can Stephen respond like Jesus? Let me give you a very simple but complex thought. It's Jesus. How can Stephen respond like Jesus? It's it's Jesus. When we choose to live in his presence... And Stephen's one of his followers, the Spirit of God. Notice Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, verse 55, looked up to heaven. It is Jesus that does the transforming work in me. So I choose his presence, and that is going to affect my legacy. And then I realize because of his presence, I can respond to people differently. Now, I don't know about the cycle of injustice in your own world, and I don't know about all the the baggage and the pain and the hurt and the suffering you may be going through right now. But I, I do know this. You can choose to respond like Jesus. You actually can. And it's not by just saying, all right, Jesus, help me. It's by the Spirit of God. When you choose to be his follower, he gives you his Spirit. And his Spirit, the fruit of that is love. Joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control. All of that is the evidence, not of you being a better person, but allowing the Spirit of God to remake you 
And that's what Jesus is doing in Stephen. And that is what the Sanhedrin is resisting. You see, they're convinced that their religious system is enough. And they go to temple and they read Torah and they follow the rules and they have covenant relationship with God. Why? They were born into the Jewish tradition in the household of Israel. They didn't have room in their worldview and in their soul for an interchange. And that's what Jesus brings. My friend, this morning, whether you're a mom or a dad or you're single, young or old, allow the presence of Jesus to transform you and let the love of God, let the love of Jesus, let the love of Jesus guide you. Now, most of us aren't this extreme. I mean, these guys are the epitome of not walking in the love of God. They're trying to kill him. Now, none of us, I think, here are, are that way, but we can be selfish. You see, the Sanhedrin were about themselves and their system. They were the official keepers of the temple, and Jesus could potentially mess up their gig, their rule, their, their authority. And so they were threatened by Jesus and his people. And so how do I apply this to us? It could simply be here that we spend our, our energy on what we want and what, what we can get. Maybe we're pursuing our dreams at the expense of others. Maybe we're sacrificing family and the relationship with our spouse, with our kids, with our friends, because this career or this thing or this pursuit just simply takes control. Now, I don't have to tell you what it is in your world, but I do know that there are opposing forces. And so this morning, I invite you to live like Stephen, someone who's pursuing Jesus above all things and allows the love of God that changes it from the inside to change the way he responds to people. Then this is why we read the scriptures. This is why we're so ridiculously high on reading through passages because God gives us in the scriptures people who live differently. Uh, I'll give you an example right now in our community. It's Mother's Day and um, one of our leaders here, she's, she's not here this morning, but rather she's in Nepal because uh, we as a community heard about the terrible circumstances in Nepal and Penny, one of our deacons and who's on staff at the church, is representing you right now rather than being at home with her daughters and her husband and and their extended family and enjoying a meal, she's in Nepal literally pulling bricks off of rubble because of the earthquake and all that happened there and, and, and all the shrapnel. And she's serving on your behalf, on my behalf. There are people who choose to, to live differently. Now, I know you didn't get that invite and you probably would have gone, but, but God gives us in Scripture and in the real world people who choose to pursue, pursue Jesus above their own dreams and who, who pursue love and the love of others rather than what they can get. What I am saying is that Jesus causes us to live differently. Now, one little thing on this. Next week, please be here next week and invite 16, not 15, 16 people to join you next week. George Verwer, who I've, I've met just one time, uh, is one of those people. George is, I think, 76, 77 and for the last 50 years, he's been serving God around the world. He's one of those live differently kind of people. If you think I get in your face, pff, I'm a wimp. He is totally sold out for the good news of Jesus and living for Jesus and motivating people to live for Jesus. And he's, he's going to come and speak to us next week. And I think the timing is right. Right after this message about Stephen to hear about what it applies to us. I haven't given them any specific word other than say we're in Acts and, and, and George, go for it. Just take over. Please don't miss it. I think Jesus 
has a word for us. Third thing I want us to see this morning, though, before we go, is that Stephen lived faithful to Jesus. He lived faithful. So if if you're a parent, I think there's no greater prayer for yourself and your children than that you would live faithful. Like, I want more than anything, houses, cars, all that stuff, who cares? I want Joan and Alina, our kids, to live faithful to Jesus. I want them to exceed whatever Carmen I could do in this world in terms of faithfulness to Jesus. And if you love God and you're following Jesus, isn't that the prayer for your kids? That they'll go further and, and higher and live closer to Jesus than you and I do. But know this, Stephen suffers while living faithful to Jesus. And we need to get that. I want my, my children to, to go higher and farther. And I think that, at least in my interpretation, that's a, that's a less painful life, less struggles. And so what do we do as parents? We want to protect and shield our kids from all the hardships that we've gone through, but that's not how it works, is it? Rather, we see in the biblical story and we see in our own world that God, in his goodness, allows tough times, tough seasons, persecution, even evil, he uses that in the big picture for the good. Why? How am I going to live faithful unless that faithfulness is challenged, right? And so I, I am praying for my kids, Jesus, protect them and keep them. But at the same time, I don't want to live, I, w- I don't want them to live a stale life, a whitewashed life, an overprotected life. Rather, I want them to be so full of the Holy Spirit of God that no matter what challenge they're called to face, that they'll stand tall and, like Stephen, live faithful to him. So Stephen's doing the right thing when he is martyred, and that is exactly Jesus' story. So Luke parallels the end of Jesus' life and the end of Stephen's life are the same. And the last thing we hear from Stephen is, forgive them. Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he lays his head and he dies faithfulness. Uh, What does that say about us? It says that Jesus in his suffering, just look at his example for a second. Jesus in his suffering, it's useful for our good because Jesus does not avoid suffering, because Jesus doesn't avoid hardship, because Jesus doesn't avoid the cross. Billions of people receive redemption. You and I receive life. So what am I saying? Again, we can't tease it all out. But God does use our suffering for a greater good. Now, part of the challenge is you and I living faithful when we don't see that. And that's where it's hard. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit and that pursuit of Jesus. And we need one another. And we need to choose to walk in love. Because from my vantage point, this looks like a useless murder. Except for what Luke tells us. Twice in the text, not once, But twice in the text, he gives us the meaning behind Stephen's suffering. Look at the middle of verse 58. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Then at the end of verse 60, and Saul approved of their killing him. What is God doing here? Jesus reminded his followers, John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And that is the truth. You don't know, moms, dads, you don't know exactly why you're going through what you're going through at all times, 
But you can, you can hold that Jesus is faithful and take that to the bank. In the season of suffering, remind yourself, Jesus said, trouble will come, but he's overcome it. And Jesus' death and resurrection is the proof that death has no hold on him. And he's conquered the most difficult thing, which is death. And if he can take care of that, and if he can rise again, and if he can ascend to the Father and now is ruling the universe and standing, so to speak, in our moment of need, you and I have nothing to fear because if we're in Jesus, Jesus will be faithful to us. So what, what's the good that comes out of Stephen's death? Two things that we see here, Luke tells us. The first is that Saul sees the gospel on display. Saul has a chance to see the gospel. As a matter of fact, we're going to read one chapter from now. Uh, Saul is going to meet the risen Jesus. Stephen sees Jesus, seated at the right hand of God, and and Saul kills him because he says he's a liar and he's blaspheming. But but Saul is going to be out trying to arrest and kill other Christians and he's going to meet Jesus and a light is going to shine and Jesus' presence is going to be there. And Jesus is going to speak to Saul face to face. Now, you need to catch this. Stephen never got that in view. I'm not going to suggest to you that in this life, you're going to understand all as to why what happens in your world happens. We're not going to see it all. We're not going to understand it all. But in the big picture, we can live in response to the love of God, we can live faithful to Jesus. We can pursue the presence of Jesus because we know that in the big scheme of things, because Jesus is faithful, he will use even my suffering or my hardship or my faithfulness for a greater good than I could ever accomplish apart from it. And so Stephen dies, but that seed of the gospel goes into the life of Saul. Luke tells us before he gives us Saul's testimony that he was there and he was saying, kill him. Now later in his life, in his later years, as Saul becomes a follower of Jesus and begins reproducing and raising up other leaders, just listen to what he has to say to his young pastor, son in the faith, Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 14. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank Jesus, why? Who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though, and look at the phrase he uses, even though I was once a blasphemer. Why did Stephen die? Because of blasphemy. But later in his life, Saul realizes Stephen was on point. I was the one blaspheming. And a persecutor, he's the one who, who received the cloaks, who, who was there giving authority for them to kill him. And I was a violent man. I let mob justice rule. Even though he was a man of God, so to speak, he knew better. Stephen, if nothing else, deserved a fair trial. And he didn't get that. But I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief and the grace of our Lord Jesus was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What does this say to us? It says Stephen doesn't see see the results, but we do. Could it be that your faithfulness now in trial? Could it be that your faithfulness now in hard circumstances? Could it be that your faithfulness now in this world produces a legacy well beyond you? I think part of the challenge of our culture is we are fixated with immediate results. I had oatmeal this morning. 
I thought that was a good idea. I didn't do like regular oatmeal. I did one minute oatmeal because two minutes would take me too long, right? I want I want quick oats. Why? Because I don't have I don't have time. Although it took me five minutes to do my one minute oatmeal. Maybe that's just my own ignorance. But I want it fast. We go through drive-throughs. We look for convenience. And following Jesus does not follow that pattern. It requires stability, stick-to-itiveness, patience, and a lot of mercy. Paul looks back on his life and remembers he was Saul, but the grace of God was poured out abundantly. Maybe this morning you just need to hear that there's grace for you. Maybe you hear, you're hearing, you're like, man, I didn't realize you're going to go hardcore on Mother's Day. And now you're reflecting on all that you have done or not done. All that you could have been but are not. Can I just say to you, it's never too late. It's never too late. The mercy of God was there for Saul. And the murderer, violent, evil man was transformed and became a trophy of God's abundant grace. There is grace for you right now. But let me tell you, my friend, that grace is found in Jesus. And it's the presence of Jesus that gives the grace to you. And so this morning on Mother's Day, come to Jesus. Give your life fully and completely to Jesus. Surrender your foolishness to Jesus. Surrender your stubbornness and your resistance to Jesus. Because in Jesus, there is everything Stephen needs. And there's everything that you and I need. Now, one more before we go. Not only is Stephen's legacy, Saul, and, and by the way, most of the New Testament is written by this man that kills Stephen, but the legacy goes back to his faithful witness. Second thing, though, that happens is even bigger. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. It says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. I want you to catch that. When Jesus spoke to his, his, his crew before going up to heaven, he says the gospel is going to be preached in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth Up until Stephen, it is only for Jews and it's only in Jerusalem. And here's the good news. God uses the faithful witness of one humble man, Stephen. And because of his faithful witness, ironically, a persecution breaks out against all believers. This is horrible, great news. It's absolutely terrible when you think about it. They get Stephen and kill him and some people are motivated to multiply evil. But yet, where is Luke writing from? Luke is writing 30, 40 years later and looking back, that horrific event and that horrific season brought about the multiplication of churches all around the known world. And there was a move of God that left Jerusalem only. It became Jerusalem's growing and Judea and Samaria and the good news gets pushed out. Don't wait for good circumstances to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus now and even through the hard things Jesus may be doing something great in your world. So we see the persecution of the Christians leads to the gospel being spread. Verse 3, but Saul, I'm sorry, verse 2, godly men buried Stephen and, and mourned deeply for him. So he's not left out. He's remembered. He's loved. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. You see, his obedience led to something greater. Now, I've seen that with my own two eyes. My sister-in-law, they'll be here this summer. My brother Miguel has preached here a bunch. They live in a small country in Europe called Estonia. And they're going to be here in August. And you'll meet Mai, his wife. But look at her own world. 
Mai became a follower of Jesus young, but she was born and raised in a communist country. And she joined the church, and it was hard. And there was persecution. So much so that she and friends escaped under communism. She fled to Italy and then eventually emigrated and ended up in the state of Washington. And a bunch of the people from their church had to flee because of persecution like Stephen. Matter of fact, factoid, there are more people killed in our lifetime for faith in Jesus than in the first century in what we're reading about. This is not ancient history, it's news. There are still multiplied thousands of people being killed for their faith, like Stephen, today. Now, how are we going to live in light of that? Well, my, she lives faithful to Jesus. She makes it here. And a bunch of the people from this church decided to keep in touch and then end up going to Bible school together because by faith they believed that one day communism will fall and they want to be ready to preach the word of God back in their country. And you know what happened? They ended up in the Midwest going to Bible school. My brother ends up in the Midwest going to Bible school. My brother sees tall, blonde beauty, falls in love. I'm like, Miguel, you have no hope. You have no chance. I love you, but you're shooting too high. I actually told him that. (laughs) I saw her and thought, you do not have a chance. Jesus is bigger. Jesus has power. He blinded her eyes. She... (laughs) My brother doesn't listen, so I can say whatever I want. Um, he blinded her eyes, and, and they got married. Here's what happened. They end Bible school. Con- communism falls. My, not married to my brother yet, says, I'm going home to preach the good news. And she is a translator at a Bible school there. My brother is heartbroken because the love of his life has left, so he decides to go on a mission trip to Estonia. <laughs> for a month or two just to see if God's working. <laughs> he didn't come home. They got married in Estonia. They came home six months later, lived in the States for a bit, had their first two kids. Then God called them. They moved back there and they've been there close to 15 years planting churches. Now, there is a greater work of the Spirit in Estonia now than 15, 20 years ago. Do you see that? God uses seasons of suffering. Now, my is able to see the benefit. You may not be able to see the benefit, but let's just bring this home to us. Because on a day like today where we celebrate the faithfulness of moms and dads in raising kids, can I just suggest to you, you may not see all the benefit of your investment in your family. You may not see your kids rise up to the level that you hoped and dreamed, but don't give up too early. Never give up. Keep praying. Keep sharing. Keep faithful to Jesus. Keep pursuing him. Keep responding in love. And at the right time, you will bear fruit. None of us want to suffer. None of us want hardship. We want the easy life. But the things that have long-lasting benefit usually come through struggle, don't they? And so this morning, I'm here to remind you that there's grace in Jesus. I just pray that we're a people marked by the presence of Jesus, guided by the love of Jesus, and that we live faithful to Jesus. Now, this morning, is that your story? If not, can I just say again, there's grace for you. Um, Stephen is still talked about 2,000 years later, and no one knows about the Sanhedrin. Nobody. They need to be explained. Which leads me to the high and important question. What are you going to be remembered for? Like really, 30, 40, 50, 100 years from now, 
What are you going to be remembered for? What is your legacy going to be? I hope that it's faithfulness to Jesus. And I hope that it's the love of Jesus. And I hope that it's a passionate pursuit of Jesus. I hope that your great-grandkids hear about you. And that it was your love for God that led you to all the decisions you made. And that your great-grandkids want to follow Jesus like you did.